this is Brother Jerry, the pastor here at Friendship Baptist Church, and you are about to watch one of our messages. I hope that during this time that you would prayerfully listen. I hope that the Lord speaks to you, that he uses this message to help you grow. I hope you're able to experience God. I hope you're able to connect with him and connect with our church. I hope that you're able to respond to what he's doing in your life. I hope you enjoy. May the Lord bless you during this time. continue our online services as well, but I'm looking forward to seeing some of your all's faces and, and rejoicing over that. And so again, that is next Sunday, November the 1st, we will be back in the sanctuary and we will have a full schedule, back to normal schedule. We'll have um, stuff for our children, kids programs, we'll have uh, Sunday school, all of that's going to be starting back. So Sunday school will be back at the original time, 945, and then we'll have service at 1045, and then we'll have uh, uh, Sunday school before and then again um, we'll have even the kids come up for children's sermon time and they'll go back and say man I'm looking forward to that it's just going to feel great to get back into that and so praise the Lord uh, something else I wanted to remind you of is uh, let's see November the 29th so the fifth Sunday of November so November 29th is when we have rescheduled our family ministry launch and so of course that was scheduled on October 4th and that's the first day we shut everything down but we are so ready. Me and um, Jacqueline are already working on getting some things ready for that. We'll be introducing the Faith at Home ministry, the wall in the back. You've been seeing it the last couple of times you were here. So ready to just um, express the importance of seeing Christ in our homes. And that's not just for those with children in their homes. That's for every season of life. Whether you are a married, widow, divorced, whether you have a full home of children or, or you have no children in your home. It doesn't matter. Um, I want you here if you can be here and listen to um, what God's doing in our church concerning the families. And so again, November 29th, don't forget it, write it down, um, put it on your calendar, put it in your phone, November 29th. And that's the weekend after Thanksgiving. And so guess what? You get to bring all your family to it. And so that's even more uh, special. We get to have a family ministry launch with our families. And I'm going to have uh, some of my family up. I think my mom's going to be here, my sister and stepdad and all of them is going to be here. So uh, you'll get to see them that Sunday. Looking forward to that day. And so again, November 29th. All right, let's get rolling this morning as we're going to worship the Lord today. We're looking at uh, uh, who God is, uh, that he is a God of love and a message of love today. And so praise the Lord for that. I'm going to pray for us. We'll continue to worship and then we'll get into God's word this morning. And so Heavenly Father, Lord, we yield to you and the Holy Spirit, Lord, this morning. God, show yourself mightily, Lord. Show your love. Let us feel your love, Lord. Come upon us in a mighty, powerful way, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we are listening and praying right now in the midst of all these homes, Lord, Lord, that you would send about your love into their homes, Lord, in a, in a way in which they, they, right now, in the very presence of them, Lord, that they would just feel something different, Lord, that feel your love, God, in a special way, overwhelming them, God, Lord, may the Holy Spirit speak to us right now in such a special way. As we worship, Lord, I pray that, that you would bring about a sense of who you are, Lord. And that that's the very God, you, Lord, that we would worship. 
We love you, God, and we're thankful for what you're doing this morning in our hearts, in our lives, Lord, in our church. We pray for a, a revival, Lord, in our nation. We pray for revival starting, though, right here in our homes, Lord. And so, God, we ask for your glory to be revealed to us, that we would rejoice in who you are and worship you today. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Well, it's good to have all the ladies back that wasn't here when us guys sang all the good songs, but... Glad y'all are back. Glad you're feeling better. So, yeah, they all look good to me anyway. They may not yell, but they all look good to me because they sang good. <laughs>
times we hear the word love and we our mind goes crazy. We think of all kinds of different things. And that's what I want to talk about, though, today is the word love. What is love? What does it mean to love? And I want to break that down. And I know we've heard a thousand sermons that talks about the love and love of God. But I pray that as we open up God's word today, that he grabs a hold of your heart in a special way this morning and shows you this message of love that he has for us. Two weeks ago, we looked at a message of hope and how we have hope in the midst of everything going on today. And then last week, we looked at the grace of God. Even though everything's crazy right now, we see a grace-filled, a graceful, a gracious God that we serve. And today, I want to share with you that He is a God of love. And he has a love for you. And he has a love for me. And I want to open up God's word today and look at that. You can actually go ahead and turn to 1 John, the epistle of 1 John, if you want to go ahead and get there. And that way we can open up God's word together. But when we think of that word love, I think initially our mind probably goes to this, this feeling, this emotion in a sense of, of between a man and a woman. And I don't think that's really by any accident. God really made us um, able to unite man and woman and not only did he make us able to unite and to commune and, and, and be united in that sense but he gave us a desire for that he gave us a desire to be united together this this desire for one another a desire to sacrifice and 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 to protect them to self-sacrifice and to commit and 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 to to want to be in the presence of one another and to prove your desire for them and and to to really uh, all the way protect defend and be there for one another and that desire has been given by God and we call that love and there's a reason God has given us that it's because that is to point to the type of love he has for his church for us brothers and sisters and love that he has for us and that is 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 all seen uh, again through through man and woman and how they love one another through marriage but we also know um, how the love that we can have between man and woman can fail at times, can struggle at times. Let's think about the instance of maybe a, you have a man and this woman and, and you, um, they kind of go through the normal thing. They, they date for a while and they fall in love and the man reaches out and he, and he tells the woman, he grabs her by the hand and he gets down on a knee and he says, I love you. Would you marry me? And of course she says yes and and they, they start doing all the wedding planning stuff and they get all prepared for it and they're so excited about it. And it comes to the wedding day and everything's going just perfect. It comes to the moment where the bride is about to walk down the aisle and she catches ear of something. She hears that the husband's not there and that he's not coming. And can you imagine that? The abandonment, devastation that she would have felt standing there being unloved, knowing and feeling unloved. I hope none of you have experienced that. But I'm sure that you have experienced abandonment or betrayal from someone you love at some point in your life. Not praise God, but I'm sure in some level, just about every one of us have felt abandonment or, or betrayal from someone that we love. And that's a deep pain. It hurts. And I think we understand that that love, human love, is something that um, is going to fail sometimes and, and even often is going to fail. But do we ever feel that way about God's love? I know initially you might say, well, of course not, but think about it. Do you ever really feel that way about God's love? Do you ever feel like God has stood you up, that you expected him to show up in certain ways and he did not meet those expectations? 
Or, or do you ever wonder if God really loves you still? You see, I think we correlate this broken um, love that we can have between one another because it's not perfect. And we can take and paint that on, on this picture between God and us at times and, and, and we get confused over those things. But today I want to give you great hope, show you the grace of God, the very things we've been talking about, and showing you that we have a God of love. One in which promises and guarantees to love you no matter what, to love you. One in which is love himself. So this morning we find that truth, that promise, just like I told you in 1 John chapter 4. So if you would, turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to tell you again and again, 1 John chapter 4. Take your Bibles and open them to 1 John chapter 4. I want us to engage in the living word of God. I want us to open it up and to, and to see God and his love face to face to hear him speak his word and, and to see what he's showing us in the scriptures today, would you turn to 1 John chapter 4 as we look at this promise God is giving us to love, but not only the promise, but some realities, some implications that come from his love toward us. And so let's go ahead and read this. I'm really going to focus on verses 16 to 21, but to give you some context, we're going to start up in verse 7. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, here's what it says. Beloved, let us love one another, for the love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love has been perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his Holy Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. And then catch verse 16 here. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And He who abides in love abides in God and God in Him. Love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Heavenly Father, Lord, that is your word. Your living, gracious, hope-filled word that brings about and shows us the perfect demonstration of your love, God. Help your love become a reality this morning, Lord. Help us experience and connect and respond to your love this morning, Lord. 
Speak to us, Lord, and wrap us in your loving arms, God. Oh, we rejoice in your love, Lord. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So first we're going to look at this promise of love. And so it's broke down in two different ways. We have God's love for us and we are to know that. And then we're to rely on it or trust in it or believe in it. And we're going to talk about both of those areas in which we, we know it and then we believe or trust in it. So let's break this down. The first side of it is to know it. So if we're going to know God's love, then it comes by... So let's look at this this morning. We're going to have two different points this morning. And really, we're going to break this down and what it means to have this promise and then what that means for us in our lives. And so the first idea is looking at this promise and, and to see it on kind of two different perspectives. And first off, that's to know God's love and then to respond or rely on it. So the first point this morning is we must know and rely on God's love. We must know and rely or trust or believe on God's love. And we're going to see four different ways this happens. And so, again, two different aspects of it, to know it and then to believe or trust or rely on it. So the first idea is to know it. And so if we're going to know God's love, then, then the first thing we must understand is that God is love, that he is love. The proper starting point when we're looking and discussing love cannot start with us. It can't start with you. It can't start with the way we feel and experience things. It can't start with our discernment or our perspective or the way we think something should be done or, or, or the way we think um, people are supposed to respond. We can't start with ourselves when we think about this word love and specifically God's love. The starting point when we talk about love has to be with God. For discussion in which we talk about love, we must recognize that God is love. What does it mean to say that God is love? Is love. It says it several times here in, the, in these, these verses that God is love. And sometimes I think we can get this confused. I think the original response might be to think that, well, God is love. And so that must mean that love is God. But I don't think it's a dual equation like that. I don't think that that's exactly what it means. And I think we have to be careful when we say um, things in the Bible that, uh, that, that it doesn't necessarily say. That's not what it's necessarily saying here. It says that God is love, not that love is God. And so we have to be careful. And you might say, why are you making a big deal about that, Pastor? Well, think about this. It's really important. When we say that God is love, we're seeing God um, defining himself and, and really the uh, showing who he is, his essence. And so when you say God is love, we're seeing him define himself and who he is and his essence. But when we say love is God, now in a way we're seeing that this characteristic, this, this love is, is as if it's the God of our life. And, and in a way, it's really a form of idolatry. So when we say God is love, we see that God, his essence is love. It's his very being. He's love. But if you try to put that backwards and you say love is God, then, then you're idolizing a characteristic. And if you don't have the right starting point with what love is and who love is and we don't understand it, I mean, you can't understand it apart from God. And so, so we can't go that direction. This is so important. It comes back to where is our starting point? Do we start with God and his love or do we start with our love and the way that we see um, that as God's? You might think this sounds crazy, but... It's really the world I believe we're living in right now. I think um, we live in a world that uh, says a lot of things they do is out of love. 
And you see from both sides of the extreme, they say, well, we're doing this because we love um, such and such. And you see this side and say, no, we're doing this because we love such and such. And, and it was because of our love. And you see in politics and everything going on, um, the idea of discrimination. And, and we're not supposed to discriminate because of this love. Or you're not supposed to hold these views because they're unloving. And, and, and we have all these different ideas of love. But what is love? We're going to talk a lot about love. What is it? What is it? Love? What is love? And we can't start with, again, our idea of it, we must start with the very essence of who God is. He is love. There's a popular show right now. Um, it's actually called Yellowstone. It's not a clean show. It's it's um, um, but it's very popular right now. And I think the reason it's popular is because it probably shows a little bit more of of um, the reality that we like to give on of, of what's going on, corruption and and the mindset of what's happening uh, in, in our world. And, and in the show, there's this lady, Miss um, um, Dutton and uh, Beth Dutton, and she says. Uh, uh, this line in which she says, I don't believe in right or wrong. I believe in love. And there's there's things you love and that is right. And anything that threatens or or um, um, comes against and attacks love, then that is evil. And the reason I, I bring that out is because people hear that and they say, that's, that's right. That's right. That, that's, I mean, you have the things you love and that's good. And anything that attacks, that's wrong. And that's the very mindset that we live in today. So many people have this thought process of, of that's what love is, and, and that's not love. We have to get an understanding of, of right and wrong and, and who God is and that He is love. To say God is love is to speak more about His essence than it is to speak about one of His characteristics. Again, it says God is love. It doesn't necessarily just say that God is loving. Of course He's loving, but, but the point that it's getting at here is, is who He is rather than what He's doing at the exact moment. I think this helps us understand God a little more. God isn't just loving sometimes or most times. Like his very essence is love and he can do nothing outside of that. What he does now and what he will always do will be out of love. Love is not only something he does though, but it's who he is. And I think that's important as we look at this. And so as you look at this phrase just before um, verse 16 and verse 13 and 15, we see how God demonstrated this love toward us. He demonstrated it through Christ, uh, sending his son to be the savior of the world, it says, and that if we agree and confess Jesus as the son of God, then we abide in God and he in us, meaning that we abide in this perfection of love, this idea of love, and it abides in us. And that really leads me to this next aspect. If we're going to know God's love, then the next aspect of that is, is to not only know that he is love, but we are to know that we are the objects of his love, that we are love. And so if we're going to look at what love is, first off, we've got to understand that God is love. But then the second thing here is we've got to understand that we are love. We are the objects of his love. And we see that in, in verse 16. It says, we have known the love God has for us. We have known, we've come to know the love that he has for whom? For us. And the word here, have known or come to know, is a perfect tense word in the Greek. And that just simply means that the present state is, is happening because of a result of, of a past action. And it makes perfect sense here. The past action was God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the savior of the world. And that, that he would die a death on a cross and that he would take on the wrath of God and forgive our sins and, and be buried and, and then go into the tomb but then raise and, and, and the tomb would be left empty and therefore we have power and victory over death and our sin and therefore we now have experienced God's love. He's demonstrated it to us and so the present state 
is because of that action. That's what it's saying here, is, is that we've come to know his love. We've come to, to know it. We, we've known God's love. You see, love uh, to be known should be communicated. And you all know Jacqueline and I are going through this foster to adopt program and and something that I'm really seeing as a reality is, is that all over our community, there are so many children that do not know that they're loved. They don't know their love, whether by a parent or by anyone else. They don't know if they are loved by anyone in this world. What a tragedy that is. And why is that? Because love has never been communicated to them, whether by action or by words. They have never seen love communicated to them. What a heartbreaking tragedy that is. But what we see in Scripture is God says, listen, child of God, listen, child of mine, listen, son, listen, daughter, you will never have to think or feel unloved again because you are loved by me, the Almighty God. I am the Father that has a heart that has literally went through every means to bring you into my adopted family and you will never ever experience what it means to be unloved again because I love you. And we have come to know that. God has communicated that. I pray that you have seen the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus in a very personal way. I pray that you've seen it in a way in which you look at it and you say, wow, God loves me. He loves me. There's no question about the love that God has for us. So there's the first aspect of it. If we're going to know and rely on God's love, we, we've got to know it. We, it's been demonstrated to us. To us, not just to anyone, but to us. It's been demonstrated. It's been shown and we know it. But the second part of that is we are to rely on it. We are to believe in it. We're to rest in it or, 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 or to trust in it. Look at verse 16 again. It says, and we have known and believed, or you, the version might say rely or trust in the love that God has for us. Once again, a perfect tense. The idea of God has already demonstrated it specifically through Jesus. And we come to believe this love that we rely on. It literally means to consider something to be true and therefore worthy of our trust. So this is important because there's a huge difference between knowing that you're loved and relying or trusting and believing in that love. Let's think of back uh, to children again. Oftentimes you might see a child that, that knows they're loved. You've demonstrated your love to them over and over again and they know that they're loved. However, they, for whatever reason it may be, has chosen not to rely or believe or trust in that love to bring about their issues or their struggles to you, and so they go to someone else. We see that happen all the time. But the same thing can happen with us and the Lord. In the same way we know God loves us, we look to the cross and we see His love for us. It's been demonstrated to us, but for whatever reason, we don't trust in it. We don't rely on it. We don't believe in it. So we take our struggles somewhere else, whether that's to the bottle of alcohol or to, to a, a painkiller bottle or whatever addiction it might be, pornography or, or, or uh, hurtful relationships or literally whatever it may be, we take that, that, that struggle to whatever direction that might be away from God. So we know that we're loved, but we don't believe or trust or rely or rest in that love. We don't trust in His love during our 
sickness or our grief or our singleness or whatever it may be. We, we choose not to trust in it and to trust in ourselves or whatever it may be around us. I think that's true. Not only are we to know it, but we must rely on it. We must trust it, believe in it. And when we do that, then something happens. So God demonstrates his love and we know that we're loved by his grace. But then we believe or we trust or we rely on his love by faith. So we have the by grace through faith. And then something happens. We start living in his love. And that's the last thing I want to see here in this part is, is that not only do we know and believe his love, but it means we also are to abide or live or remain in his love. My translation says abide in his love. Yours might say remain or live in his love. So since God has loved us and shown us that and demonstrated it, and we have relied and trusted in that, now we live in that. What a blessing that is. Just kind of like in the way about three years ago, I guess, um, it's crazy, it's been three years already. Three years ago, y'all moved me and my wife Jacqueline here to Blackfoot. And this has become our home. This is what we call home. This is our, our, our dwelling place. And this is where we live. And, and in the same sense, um, through Christ, God has called you to a new home. And it's called love. He's called you to dwell in his love. We abide in him and he in us. Meaning we dwell in him and he in us. Therefore, we dwell in God's love. Church, there's not any other place I can imagine that I would love to dwell in rather than dwelling in the love of God. So what does this mean practically? Well, it means that we have an assurance that we're loved, that there's no question that you or me, that we are loved by God. It means that we love Him and that God's love is a defining characteristic of our own lives. So there's this idea we are to know God we're to rely on, on him, and more specifically, to know God's love and to rely or believe and trust in God's love. So that's the first aspect of it. The second point for this morning that I want us to see is when that happens and we start to live in God's love, there's some present realities. So the second point, living and abiding in his love has some present realities for us, and there's two specific ones I want to talk about. So living and abiding in God's love has some realities. And the first reality is that our fears are overcome by love. And I want to spend some time here. That our fears are overcome by love. We see this in verse 17. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, here's what it says. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Listen to what he says there. There is no fear in love. First reality described right here, there's no fear in love, that our fears are overcome by love. A lot of times uh, we are overcome by fears. I don't want to be overcome by fears anymore. I want God's love to overcome those fears. It says that there's no fear in love, that perfect love casts out fear. I want to ask you, though, how extensive is that? Does love, does his love cover all these fears? What does that look like? And I want to break that down immediately. In this context, the first thing we see is, is immediately clear is that, that there is no fear. We have no fear in what will happen concerning eternity. 
We should have no fear in what will happen concerning eternity, whether that is when we give our last breath here and we, we um, um, die here and we, we go into eternity that way or, or whether um, Christ returns and we go into eternity that way. And even the way I'm saying that is faulty. We're already in eternity, but the way that we move from this place to the next. And a lot of times that I've been dealing um, recently with this is, is, is already um, several people that we love and we cherish are passing away. As a pastor, you see this over and over again. And there's a, there can be a lot of fear that comes into passing away and, 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 and entering into to what we call eternity. But the thing we see in Scripture here is that it says that we should have no fear concerning. John is talking to those in Christ here. He says, if you know that you are loved by God, by his grace, he's demonstrated that. If you know you are loved and you have relied and trusted and believed in that love by faith and you've lived in that love, he says there's no fear. You can boldly stand at the day of judgment, he says, with confidence on the day of judgment. The Bible describes the day of judgment as a time which a throne will be set up and all the nations will be judged. And he says right there in that place, you will be able to stand boldly with confidence. So why do we fear this day of judgment? Or why does it say that we shouldn't fear? Let me say that. Why should we not fear this day of judgment? Well, look at the last part of verse 17. It says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because, listen to what he says, because as he is, so are we in this world. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Did you catch the magnitude of that statement. Because as he is, it says, because as he is, so are we in this world. What's it say? Because of the work of Christ, by grace through faith, the statement is true. When God looks upon one of his followers, when God looks upon someone that has been dipped in the blood of Christ, when God looks at a saint, a child of his, when God looks at one of us that are in Christ, it doesn't matter in spite of all the things that he's ever seen us do, in spite of who we are right now, in spite of all the things that he will ever see us do, he looks at us. And, and even though there's tremendous depravity in which we fall short of the glory of God, and even though there's, there's this despair between us, he judiciously disposes of all the guilt, the shame, the filth, and ultimately the death he disposes of all of it. And as he looks at us, he says, as he is, as Jesus Christ is, so are you in this world. That, that is amazing to me. Church, what a miracle, what assurance, what love that is. That he sees Christ in me. This is a theme throughout all the scriptures. We see it almost every Sunday. What a blessing it is to look at the word of God in which it screams, you are seen as a child of God, meaning you are righteous in his eyes. What a blessing that is. I wish Mark was here. He would be saying, glory, glory. I hope you can say glory this morning. Will someone type in glory this morning? Let's rejoice in this miracle of God in which he says, I love you in spite of who you are. says, not only in that sense of, of the future, but in this present world, in this world, right now, child of God, in this present time, you can know that you are loved and seen as righteous before God the Father. 
You might think, how can that even be possible? How can that happen? How can God make that judgment already? We have plenty of life to live and plenty of choices to make. How can he already deem me as righteous? Well, the truth is, is because it's never been about you. That is the message of the gospel. That it has always been about Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Why can God already deem us as righteous? Because of the finished work of Christ and the, the implications that has on us in the present and will always have from now on as we enter into glory with him. God in his love and grace has given us assurance of this. However, in spite of that assurance, many people still fear this day of judgment. And you might say, well, why is that? I think it really comes down to two different reasons. And if you're listening, I want you to tell me you're listening. Type it in. I'm listening because I want you to hear this. Why is it that people still fear? I think one reason might be is that we have no assurance because you know that you're in sin and you do not see the work of Christ in your life. If you know that you're in sin and you do not see the work of Christ in your life, of course you don't have assurance. Of course you fear the day of judgment. In fact, if this is the case, then your lack of assurance is God's grace. It's God's grace yelling out to you saying, you need me. That you need to yield and surrender to my work. That, that you are apart from me and you need me to work in your life. You need my righteousness. Yours is not cutting it. Yours won't do it. You need me. That's the very words of Jesus crying out to you today. So maybe that's why you have no assurance. You might say, well, I asked Jesus to come in my heart back in whenever it was. And I, I know this might sound blunt, but I want you to hear it. If Jesus is not working in your life, if Jesus Christ is not working in your life, I believe it's because your life is not in Christ, that you are not saved. You're not a follower of Christ. You might say that is hard. But I believe it's a reality from the word of God. Jesus doesn't just come and reside through the Holy Spirit into our hearts and, and rest in there just for certain opportunities to show up here and there. No, God comes and he dwells inside of us to transform us, that the old may be taken away and the new may become, that the old garments may be taken off, that we may put on Christ, that he might transform our hearts, that changes our thoughts, our desires, our, our will, our actions, our destiny, that it will all be transformed by the power and the work of Christ. Christ works in our lives. He doesn't just rest in there in this sense of taking a vacation in your heart. It's no such thing. So if Christ is not at work in your life, are you apart from Christ? I beg of you, I beg of you to see that Christ wants to work in your life. You say, where do you see this? Well, I believe the word of God shows us this. It says in Philippians 1.6, it says, He who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ. What does that mean? I believe that means that he says, well, he is working, he's begun to work, and he will continue. He promises to continue to work. And so there's no such thing as being a follower of Christ in which Christ is not working in our lives. Wow. So, I'm asking you, if that is you, if you have no assurance because you know you're living in sin and you do not see the work of Christ in your life, come to him. 
Come to Christ. Become aware of this amazing assurance. See God work in your life and the desire that he has to completely transform your life. See that that might happen. Call out on the grace of God for his grace and his mercy. Say, I need you, Lord. You don't have to wait till the end of a sermon. You don't have to wait till a time when you can be in this building and come to the altar. You don't have to wait for that. You can do it right now. In fact, shut this thing off if you want and go and find Jesus wherever you are and say, Lord, I need you. I'm crying to you. I've realized that, that the simple just believe in these things and, 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 and to accept them as true isn't good enough. I need you to transform me and to be my life, Lord. Would that be your cry today? Call upon him right now. Receive his mercy. You don't have to wait. The other reason we might struggle with assurance is simply because Satan tries to accuse us and make us fear. He does this in so many ways. I think there's false legalistic ways in which we have false legalistic teachers, I think, that, that cause us um, to see these laws imposed in which um, leads us to fear. Or, or Satan attacks our own minds often. He attacks our own thought processes through evil principles and principalities, the word tells us. In fact, essentially, he desires that our thoughts would, would come back around to us and our work rather than being on Christ and his work. So we see here when we rely, though, on his love, we trust, we know we are loved and we rely on it. We see that this fear is cast out is what this passage tells us. That the love of God cast out fear. And we see that concerning eternity, but we also see that concerning all fear, I believe. First off, to say that, though, I think we have to have a, an understanding. I need to clarify myself. I think, first off, we need to understand that we're not talking about appropriate fear of God. The Bible talks about a fear of God that we're to have, a reverence, a respect toward God. And I believe uh, we are called to fear the Lord, and a perfect love has a place for that, Absolutely. I'm not talking about the fear in which prevents us from making mistakes. You know, if I'm dealing with electrical work um, and, and I have to do something with an outlet or run some wires some which way or another, and I know that thing is filled with electricity, um, there's a fear that comes over me. And that fear causes me to make sure I don't place my hand in certain places. In fact, that fear is usually so strong that it causes me not to touch it at all, and I call Michael Bowling. <laughs> Because I, 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 I don't want to be electrocuted. I don't know what I'm doing. And so, um, in the same way, I, I believe there's a healthy fear in, in, in helping us make mistakes and, and really protecting us at times. There's an appropriate kind of fear in that way. But I believe that love does cast out all the kinds of fear in which we have from whether it may be terrified um, of, of potential disasters or or possible illnesses, or, or just really an unknown of the future is a really big one that we talk about a lot. Just uncertainty. And I believe um, that this fear can be cast out by the love of God. In fact, especially when it's out of our control. And the older I'm getting, the more I'm realizing just how much stuff is really out of my control and in the control of, of God the Father. I really believe that, that there's just not a whole lot that these hands can control. And I realize that fearing those things um, is, is really doubting God's love. And so I, I yield to knowing that, that He loves me. 
And so, really gets me at what I'm getting at here is verse 18 when it says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. And so, it says there's no fear in love because fear, uh, it says, involves torment or punishment might be what your translation says. So this idea that we're afraid to fail or, or we're afraid that God is going to send us some illness or some consequence or some difficulty or suffering our way because of his wrath toward us. And really what that is, is, is it's a fear of, that, that doubts God's love again. Fear is cast out when we're convinced that our lives are in the loving hands of God Almighty, a Father who cares for us. Fears then are cast out. That doesn't mean that difficulties don't come your way, that you don't have trials, that persecution and suffering doesn't happen. It just means that we can face them in the same way that Jesus did as he walked on earth. You know, Christ um, dealt with suffering to the max. He dealt with pain. He dealt with the cross and, and death itself. And in the midst of all of it, Jesus never doubted the Father's love toward him. And us too in the midst of whatever it is that you're dealing with today, whether that's an illness, whether it's a relationship that's broken, whether it's a, a new stage of life that you're in, whatever it may be that you're dealing with today, you can face it knowing that God loves you. You don't have to doubt that one bit. So no matter what happens, we know that we can rely on his love. And the more perfectly we understand that, the more completely fear will be cast out. Romans 8 tells us that, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Therefore, what is there really to fear? If nothing can separate us from the love of God, what, what should we fear? So we see that our fears are overcome by love. Um, and, and we see that very clearly uh, also because um, he says in the next part that we're made perfect in love. You know, although we understand this idea that perfect love casts out fear, um, there's a reality in which, if we're honest, we live in. That's just not the case all the time. And so John's addressing that when he speaks about this. He talks about not being made perfect in love. And, and I think the, this shows us that the more we experience the love of God, the more we experience his love toward us and for us, we grow in our love for God, and we're made perfect in love which that fear starts to leave more and more and more. The more we see God's love and understand God's love, the more fearless we become. So I just want to ask you this morning, is that happening? Are you becoming fearless? It's the way to become more fearless again is to spend more time coming to know more and more of how much God loves you. The secret is not to bravely face our fears. The, the secret really is, is to confidently rely on God's love, which casts out fear. I'm telling you, if you stand bravely and, and, and try to face those fears, oftentimes you get knocked down. But when we stand confidently and boldly before the Lord and His love, then we allow that love to cast out the fear because we know that we are in His hands. God help us to be made perfect in love. And then we see um, the second reality. So when we live in that love, we, we see that our fears are cast away, that, that um, love overcomes those fears. But the second reality is that also when we live and abide in his love, then us in return, we then love. And I want to wrap up here. And so really uh, this idea that if we live in love, um, 
Because we have known the love of God, we've relied, we've believed in the love of God, and that love's been demonstrated to us, then in return, that love should be resembled or reflected out to others. And we see that in verse 19 through 21. So I want to read this to you. It says, verse 19, it says, We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he have love? How can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So John, excuse me, John really chooses three different ways to to communicate this powerful truth. And so verse 19, he says, we love him because he first loved us. And the earliest manuscripts actually leave out him. And I believe that makes sense here. It says we love because he first loved us. If you look at the early Greek manuscripts, that's what it says. We love because he first loved us. But the reality is that both of them are, are extremely true and really getting at the same point that this love is agape love and and it's a sacrificial, a supernatural love. And we can only have love toward God because of the finished work of Christ and him loving us first. We can only have supernatural, sacrificial, agape love to one another because of the finished work of Christ and that he loved us first. The reality is the same here. In other words, our love is a response to the love that we have received. When we love, it's really a response to the love that we have received from God the Father. Again, not just because we know the right thing to do, um, not because we are love, but because we have been loved. And then verse 20 goes on further to say that, that you can't claim to love God and not love one another. And this is a tough verse. He says we're a liar if we claim that. You cannot love God and not love one another. This is one of those tough things um, about ourselves because I don't think this lie that he's talking about is a deliberate fabrication sometimes. Sometimes I think it's just a, a self-deception, but still a lie. The evidence of God's presence with us is our love for one another. That's what he told them. He said, they'll know you that you are my disciples by your love and that you love one another. And so then verse 21, he gives that final command. He says, so then um, love one another. Love your brother also, you that love God. So love is not just this emotion that we express from time to time. It's a command that is required of us all times. And God gives us the ability to love one another because of the love that he continually showers upon us through Christ. So to wrap all this up, to come to a close here, I really believe that our world recognizes the importance of love. Going back to what I said at the beginning, I really believe that a lot of the things that happen in our world on both sides, both extremes, really uh, uh, can claim that they're doing it because of love. But the reality is, is that we don't understand love unless we look at who God is because he is love. We see that he has demonstrated that love by sending his son. It's been demonstrated by God the Father in sending his son. It's been demonstrated by Christ coming, being obedient to the point of, of, of death on a cross. It's been demonstrated by the Holy Spirit by coming and dwelling inside of us. God has fully and faithfully demonstrated his love toward us. Jesus put it very clearly in Matthew 22, 37. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your mind. And he says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And he says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. He says, you must love. You must love one another, church. Today we see in 1 John 4 that God is love, that he has shown his love to you, specifically through Christ been demonstrated and you should know that you are loved.
when you see Christ and the message of the cross, the gospel message, you should know that you're loved. But then, by seeing that by grace, we then must turn by faith, through faith, believe in that love, trust in that love, rely in that love of who God is. And that causes us to live in that love. What a blessing. What a message this morning. God's love toward us. I want to ask you, do you know that God loves you? That he is love and that he loves you? Do you truly, genuinely in your bones know that? Do you trust and rely on that love in different aspects of your life? Whatever that may be. Whatever area that is. Is God growing you in that love so that fear is cast out? Or is fear taking over your life? Are you living in fear this morning or are you allowing fear to be cast out by God's love? Are you showing that love to others? Very clearly says that because of that love we've seen and we respond to that and believe in that, then we then in turn love as well. Is there someone in your life that you have specifically chosen not to love? Maybe today, after this message, you pick up the phone and say, I need to ask for your forgiveness. You pick up your phone and call that person and say, I need your forgiveness because I have deliberately chosen not to love you and I'm sorry. I need and desire to love you as Christ has loved me. Maybe you do that today. May we abide and live in love so that we would abide and live in God and that he would abide and live in us. Church, I pray that today has been a rewarding message in which God has spoken life into your heart by showing you just who he is, that he is a God of love. Would you experience that love today? Would you allow your fears to be cast out? Would you rest and rely on the love of God? Would you turn to Christ today? Would you have full assurance that you are loved by him today? Would you cry out to him today? Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And Lord, we do this very thing right now in which we ask that you literally, Lord, help us take and, and empty our mind of anything apart from you. Lord, help us cry out to the mercy of who you are, to your grace, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would help us see the very love that you had for us when you sent Christ. The very love that he had for us when you, Lord, said, not my will, but yours, talking to your heavenly Father, Lord, and went to the cross anyways. God, may we see your love when you hung on the cross for our sins, God, crying out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Lord, may we see your love when you raised from the grave and did not remain dead, did not forget about us, Lord, but you chose to do it all while we were still sinners. May we see your love in all of that, God. May we see your love that you still today, right now in the present time, pursue us and that you are pursuing us this very second, Lord. May we see your love, God. May we experience your love, God. May we connect to your love, respond to your love, God. May we resemble and reflect your love, Lord. May you radically uh, make us new by your love, Lord. God, I pray that we come to you this morning. God, and that we get that opportunity to love you and to love one another because you have loved us first. Help us understand.
Lord, we turn to you, we yield to you, we surrender to you. This morning, in the name of Christ, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we do. Amen. God, the Ancient of Days, breathed stars into space, made the wind and the waves. Before life began, we were your plan. You made us for love in your holy hands. Our God is love.